It sure is a blessing to have all those kids, isn't it? At least get it one or two amens out of that, right? All God's people said. There it is. Turn, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. As Spink said, we're looking at uh, the call to be holy this morning. I encourage you to bring a copy of God's Word with you, but if you don't have one, uh, they're provided for you in the pew. I'm preaching on the ones that's located at the end of the um, pews. It's called the ESV, or English Standard Version. Um, that you'll find the NIV in front of you. Uh, we're reading from 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21. If, if you're paying real close attention, you'll notice that I've skipped a few verses. Uh, it's on the Word of God. And so next week when the Gideons come, I'm going to be addressing those verses uh, and uh, talking about the role of the Word in our lives. So this morning we're reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. Hear now the Word of the Lord. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we ask and invite You to help us uh, over these next minutes that You would, um, by Your Spirit, uh, enlighten our hearts. Father, we know that your word does not return void. and So, Father, send it forth this morning and work in us. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Well, I'm convinced that the better that we understand what the Lord has done for us, the more deliberate we will be to seek to lead holy lives. That there is a direct connection between us understanding better and better the love that Christ has for us and all that He has done for us, and our desire to live lives that glorify Him, lives of holiness and obedience. The Bible is really clear that we are called to live holy lives. That is, lives of holiness and obedience that reflect the character of God. But but let's not pretend that this isn't a hard thing. Our lives are constantly in tension. On the one hand, as believers, we have been made new, and and part of us desires to live a holy life. We know academically, at the very least, that a life that is free from the bondage of sin is a much better life, just in a sowing and reaping kind of way. It is a more peaceful life. We also know that it is a holier, godlier life that glorifies the Lord. And and part of us really wants that for our lives, to glorify God. But every day is a fight, isn't it, with our flesh. Those sinful bits in us 
that still are in rebellion against the Lord and against His Word and His commandments. That we, that we have to fight each and every day those, those things which we desire that we know aren't good for us. So how do we, how do we desire more to live holy lives? Because sometimes, if we're honest, we just don't care. Can we be that honest? Sometimes we don't care about living holy lives. I do a to-do list every week. I got that from my father. And so on Monday mornings when I come to the church, I do a page-long to-do list of everything I want to get done that week. And oftentimes I do it on a day-to-day basis as well. If we were to make a to-do list of the priorities in our lives, the things we really wanted to accomplish, the things we really wanted to focus on, would holiness even be anywhere near that list? Sometimes the answer is no. But we're called to live holy lives. So so what has to change for that to happen? Do we just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and say, today I'm going to be holy? Certainly we are called to have that kind of resolute thought process. But I think if we disconnect the call to be holy from what Christ has already done for us, we're going to miss the boat every time. For indeed our call to be holy is rooted and grounded in who we are in Christ. Well, the scripture is pretty clear. We're called to lead holy lives. Indeed, this is kind of the the seminal text for it in the New Testament. Uh, If there's ever a question, you can turn to these verses that we've read. Look again at 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you should be holy for I am holy. Um, God called his people in the Old Testament to be holy. Several places in the Old Testament this phrase uh, shows up. And, and this we think is a direct quote from Leviticus 11.44. And we need this imperative. We need this command because sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we think that you know, uh, I'm going to sin now and repent later. Certainly you've never had that thought, have you? I know I shouldn't do this, but I can always repent later. It's not a big deal. Uh, Maybe it's just me. But that tension, that that line of, of thought is nowhere to be found in Scripture. That God would call us out of unholiness, out of sin, out of bondage to sin, and therefore it's okay to live however we want to and to sin just and do whatever we want. That logic isn't found in Scripture. God is holy. That that, that means that He is completely untouched by sin, unsullied by its presence, unstained by its stain, as it were. He is completely other, completely separate from the lustful passions of the flesh that we know all too well. He is consistent in His character in that He isn't holy one day and then unholy. (laughs) Unholy the next. Whew. That wasn't me, was it? Who <laughs> doggy? It's the Baptist Church. <laughs> That's awesome. 
we should pray for them. Um, well, let's see, where were we? Something about Jesus here. Um, God is holy and pure. Uh, and here's the th- same thing. We're supposed to live holy lives just like him. We're supposed to, I'm so glad I didn't say something unhelpful there. Uh, we're supposed to live lives just like our Savior. It's a reflection of his character, of who he is. And it's a reflection of our char- char- character of whom we've been declared to be. Do we care about holiness? Do you care about holiness? Do I care about holiness? As I look at seasons in my life, there have been seasons, I hate to say not always short ones, in which I just really didn't care about holiness. Why do most folks want to go to college? To learn, right? No. To be away from accountability, to be out of their parents' house, to be out from under their thumbs, so they can do whatever they want. Let's just not speak ill of college students. That sounds just like us, doesn't it? There are seasons in which we're not concerned about holiness, but there is no season in which we're not called to be concerned about living godly lives. What is holiness? Holiness we might define from verse 14, as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. The framework here that Peter gives us is that of, of, of children and their parents. Those of you who have children, whether in the home or out, we call our children to be obedient. They are our children. We require them to be obedient. And it's the same thing with us and our Heavenly Father. As the fifth commandment makes it abundantly clear, we are to honor our father and our mother. We are to obey them, to cherish them, to revere them, to honor them. And so it is with our Heavenly Father. I've done a lot of the uh, study in the Greek and the Hebrew. I've looked at this phrase that we should be holy. And do you know what I find that it means? It means that we're supposed to be holy. There's no way to explain it away. This means that when the Bible says that we're supposed to do something and we don't want to do it, then it's sin. Or that it says we ought not to do something, we want to do it, that that is sin. There's a, one of my favorite words in all of Scripture is the word but. But God, being rich in His mercy, made us alive together with Christ. Uh, we deserve hell, but the wages of sin, wages of sin is death, but. But it's a word that we hear from our own lips and the lips of our children often, isn't it? There's always a rationalizing statement. You're not supposed to be doing that, but. And then we find out all the reasons why they can do it. But it certainly finds its way into our own vocabulary as well. I know God tells us that we're meant to be kind and loving, but I don't feel well. I know that God tells us we are to tithe, but that new car payment is a bit high. I know that God tells us I'm supposed to put others first, but I don't feel like I get enough attention around here. I know that God has specific designs for intimacy and marriage, but those are old-fashioned rules. I know that God's law tells us that I'm not supposed to covet, but I know that if only have X, Y, and Z, only then will I be happy. I know that God calls me to be holy, but... How are we to live holy lives? 
we get a clue here in three different ways. The first is that we are called to be intentional. Verse 13, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This phrase, prepare your minds for action, literally is uh, gird up the loins of your minds. Um, in the Old Testament days, when everyone wore, when men wore long robes because of the, the weather and the temperature, uh, you would gird up your loins when you went to battle or did work. What that meant is that you would take the, the, the bottom part of your robe and, and you'd cinch it up and then you'd tie it around you. It looked kind of like shorts or a one piece. <laughs> uh, it didn't look very good, but it freed your legs up so that you could do real work. You could go to war. And so it tells us, the word here tells us, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober-minded. Why? So that we might pursue holiness as we set our hope on the grace that is to be revealed to us in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is called to be intentional. Um, it means that holiness is meant to be a priority in our lives. That we really ought to be thinking about, does this action glorify the Lord or not? We ought to really be running our actions and thoughts and deeds through the filter of God's law. Is this what God wants for me and my family now? The second is that we are to resist old passions. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. The word passions here is not a neutral word. It's, a, it's very much a, a um, loaded word. It means to lustfully desire that which is strictly forbidden. There's no way that you can use this word in a positive sense. So Peter was writing to Gentile believers who had come out of a very perverse uh, world. And the worship of their false gods involved some, involved some pretty perverse things done in the temples. Um, now here's the thing. The Lord had ransomed them from these things. But do you think that means that these believers were never tempted? Thinking back on those things? these things that gave them pleasure, these things they used to delight in, it, it would have been a daily fight to not go back to those things, not, not just in deed, but, but also in their minds. Don't be conformed, the text says, to, to what you used to do, to the passions of your former ignorance. Sometimes, uh, perhaps, um, perhaps you, perhaps your conversion story called you out of some, some heinous activity. Or even in our own actions, our own lives as believers, we've, we've been through seasons where we've run. And even though we know those things are sin, sometimes they can still haunt us, both with false guilt. Christ has paid for those things. But sometimes we're tempted to go back to them, at least in our thoughts. It's the reality. We'll probably continue to fight that battle until Christ comes again. We are to fight not being conformed to our old passions. But the third here is in reverential fear of God. Verse 17 tells us, And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Here's the thing. The same one that we call on as our Father, our Abba, our Papa, he is also the impartial judge of the universe, and everyone, every, everyone, bar none, everyone, will stand before the judgment seat of God one day. 
And everything that has been hidden will be brought to light. And everything that has been said in the darkness will be spoken in the light. The motives of our hearts will be revealed and we'll have to give an answer to every thought, word, and deed. Therefore, in the time of your exile, live in fear of God. But for the, for the Christian, there's tension there, right? Because we know that Romans 8.1 tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so while we will have to give an account of everything we've thought, said, and done, it'll be in a way that we rejoice and that God paid for that one too. That as our sin is displayed before us, before the throne, say, man, thank you, Lord Jesus, you forgave me for that. Thank you that you forgave me for that. Thank you that you forgave me for that. I don't think we have anything to fear in a terror kind of sense because all of God's terror has been poured out on our Savior. But we do need to know that there will one day be a day of reckoning. That helps us to seek to live holy lives. Where are we? Well, I'm convinced that the better that we understand the magnitude of what the Lord has done for us, the more deliberate we will be to lead holy lives. As we look at this text, it is chock full of things that the Lord has done for us. Look at verse uh, 14 again. We, we read here that we are described as obedient children. Obedient children. This means that we are children of the Most High God. We, we don't try to be holy in order for God to make us as children. We don't try to be holy in order for God to love us. We seek to be holy because he loves us, because we are his children, because we belong to him. But to all who received him, Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Parents don't love their, ought not to love their children because they obey or not. It does make them happy though, right? When, when your children obey you, it brings you pleasure. And, it, and when, our Savior, when we think of our God and our Heavenly Father, it brings him glory. But these things, holiness does not make us, um, does not make God love us. Indeed, we are his children, therefore we are to be holy. We are called by God, verse 15, but, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. When we read here that he who called you, this isn't like I called you on the phone. This isn't like I sent you an invitation. If your child is in the street and there's a car coming, you're going to be running to that child, yelling to him and grabbing him and pulling him out of the street. That's what this calling looks like. That he calls to us and he pulls us out of the road of sin's domain and the dominion of Satan. And he who has done this for us, who has snatched us out of darkness and brought us into light, he who calls you, he is holy, therefore you are to be holy. He didn't call us out of, holy, out, of, out of an unholy life in order for us to continue to live unholy lives. He called us out of unholiness. He redeemed us from that unholiness and called us to live like him. Because guess what? Where we're heading one day in heaven will be a place of holiness. And we will live forever in holiness. And we will never have temptation. Oh, won't that be a good day? We will no longer face temptation. We will no longer fight the desires of the flesh. We will no longer deal with the temptations of the evil one. And until that day, we are called to live not like who we were, but who we will be like. 
We are called to live holy lives as those who have been called out of this world by God. Not only that, but he has ransomed us from our old feudal ways, verse 18a. Knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. We have been redeemed, ransomed. There's been a, a payment, there's been a price paid that would take us out of our old feudal ways. This word feudal in the Old Testament refers to the worship of false gods. Indeed, as one commentator put it, the life of unbelievers before their conversions is futile, empty, and devoted to false gods. How can we have freedom from old patterns of sin? We can't do it on our own. We were powerless in and of our own selves. Something had to happen. Those who are enslaved have no ability to get themselves out of slavery. Just like in the Old Testament with the Exodus, when God's people were in Egypt, they had no power to leave Egypt themselves. Something had to happen. And ultimately what happened was the Passover, in which the firstborn of all of Egypt died, so that God's people could be free. And here's the thing. We have now received the better exodus where we can be free from the slavery of sin by the death of the firstborn of our God. For this is the price, as we see in verse uh, verse 19, the precious blood of the Lamb. Not with money, not with silver or gold that you have been redeemed. No, it is the, the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb without spot or blemish. It's precious because of what it achieves. The salvation of our souls, it's precious because it is unique. It is the only place, the only payment that will do. It is precious because of whose it is. It is the very blood of the God-man Jesus. As we think about whether we should pursue holiness or not, if we think about Calvary and what happened there, there is a seriousness to our sin that the Savior had to die in order for my sin to be paid for. And how can I look upon the spilt blood of my Savior and then continue to live in patterns of sin? Have I forgotten what it took to free me from its bondage, and yet I return to it all the time? I'm convinced that as we see more and more of what our Savior has done for us, we will be enabled To pursue holiness all the more. Our passage continues. There's even more here. It says in verse 20 that it has been according to his plan. That the son of God, that he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. But now he has been made manifest in these last days for your sake. That he has always existed. But in space and time history he was incarnated. He became Jesus. The son of God took to himself a human nature So that he could lay down his life for lawbreakers like you and me. We who were caught up in unholy living, following feudal ways. We needed to be ransomed. We needed to be redeemed. And so it is according to his great plan he sent. Verse 21, that through him we are believers in God. The only way that we can have salvation is that we believe and trust on God. And how does that happen for us? It happens through Jesus. That as we believe on him, we become believers in God and therefore his precious blood is applied to us that we might one day look to the grace that will be revealed to us at the coming of the day, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're like me, 
You wax and you wane. You fluctuate in being concerned about holiness or not. But may we join together in remembering what God has done for us. And in doing so, I believe he will give us a greater desire to live lives that glorify him. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we don't desire to live holy lives. Help us to endeavor to glorify you in all that we say and we do and we think. We can't do this on our own strength. There's nothing in us that can do this. So empower us by your spirit. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.